Welcome to On the Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsbreakers taking this metropolis to the next level. A place where you can learn about what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman and I'll be your host. And the subject for episode four hits kind of close to home, so to speak. Uh, it's about the David and Gladys Wright House, which I covered for the Arizona Republic for two years. Got a stunning education on land use, historical designation, and the wizardry of Frank Lloyd Wright. The house has sat on the lot in Arcadia for more than 50 years, largely out of the public eye. And then a developer named Meridian 8081 came along and suddenly the home became big news. The developer saw the dilapidated home, bought and split the property to replace the Wright house with two new luxury homes. But the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright Conservancy got wind of this and contacted the city of Phoenix who initiated a request for a historical overlay, which allowed for a temporary stay of demolition. After months and months of battling between the property owners, the city and preservationists, a man named Zach Rawlings swooped in and bought the home for $2.38 million. And he had plans to fix it up and then donate it to a nonprofit that would be responsible for maintaining it as a house, museum, slash educational facility. And Mr. Rawling has stayed true to his word. He's given the public an opportunity to experience the property, but that won't be the case much longer. Relationships with some of the surrounding neighbors have not been the best, and to ease that tension, officials with the house have decided to end the events at the home, at least until further notice. In this episode of On the Grid, we will discuss the future of the home and the last few opportunities people will have to experience this iconic Phoenix landmark before it goes dark to the public. We will be speaking with Wright House Community Outreach Coordinator Melly McEckhorn and Steve Weiss with No Festival Required, who is behind the last big event at the David Wright House. But first, the stale news. Welcome to the stale news. That's right. By the time you listen to this news, it will be old. But for posterity and to serve as a signpost along the highway of our lives, here is the news for the week of March 21st. This week, Arizona has been a popular campaign spot for the presidential candidates to visit before Tuesday's March 22nd primary. Senator Bernie Sanders held rallies in Phoenix on March 15th, in Flagstaff on March 17th, in Tucson on March 18th, and again in Phoenix on March 19th. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton visits Phoenix on March 21st. Republican Senator Ted Cruz held a rally in Phoenix on March 18th. And Donald Trump visited Fountain Hills on March 19th. And actually, that's today. And as we were recording, Trump protesters had blocked Shea Boulevard, backing up traffic, keeping Trump supporters from the rally. But it looks like everything is going to go off without a hitch at the rally today. Under the file of local art venues, two downtown spaces are set to see some changes. And this has uh, been actually pretty well known. The trunk space has sat next to the Bikini Lounge on Grand Avenue off Roosevelt for more than a decade now. But the beloved venue will see its last performance in May. Co-owner Steph Coreco told On The Grid the decision to move came about for a number of reasons over a period of time that ultimately left her feeling like the trunk space just wasn't welcome at their current location. But worry not, it's not over for the trunk space. Coreco is actively looking for a new home for the venue. And another beloved home to local artists, the Firehouse Gallery in downtown Phoenix, has launched a fundraising campaign in hopes of taking sole ownership of their space. The property, located on First Street between Roosevelt and Portland Streets, was recently put on the market, listed at $500,000, according to reports. For more information about their fundraising efforts, visit GoFundMe.com. The David Wright House in Arcadia has seen a number of ups and downs since developers had plans to demolish the house and build two new luxury homes in its place. Communications coordinator with the house, Melly McEckhorn, is here to get us up to speed on where the house is now. Hey, Melly, welcome to the show. Okay, so uh, we have we have this beautiful house, David and Gladys Wright House in Arcadia. Why don't you uh, let people know a little bit how it's changed since Zach Rawling purchased it? Well, he's done he's done a lot of like cleaning up and improvement on the on the house itself. Um, he uh, because it was kind of the house needed a lot of work to begin with, and so did the lot too, right? It yeah, it did, and so like the landscaping has radically changed. Um, and I mean, we have all these beautiful green grass lawns everywhere, but also the in- interior of the house. A lot of the uh, original furniture that was once there was uh, he had 
um, replicas made of all of the freestanding furniture that's not there anymore and of the rug, which is... Famous kind of, rug. Yeah. Tell everybody about the rug if people don't know about it. Well, the rug has a really... It's actually a really wonderful story because the house itself sort of tells the story of, of Mr. Wright and, and David Wright coming together after, you know, a, a long period of um, sort of distance between the two of them sort of late in their lives. Mr. Wright was in his 80s and David was in his 50s when he asked his dad to build this house. And March Balloons has this very symbolic nature for Mr. Wright's relationship with his family. Um, It's based on uh, this family tradition that he had, because even though Mr. Wright was a a workaholic, he never forgot any of his children's birthdays growing up. And they had this family tradition of filling the playroom with helium balloons. And he was inspired by the patterns that they would create on the ceiling to come up with the design for the rug. And he intimately integrates it with the rest of the house to the way that he designed the cushions on the chairs to... Mm. um, So it was all based around the rug, the design and all that. Yeah, there are certain ratios in in the floor plan that that sort of um, are mimicked from the rug. And so it's like the entire house is sort of blooming off of this design and it becomes a a daily constant reminder of a father's love for his family. So you've got new furniture in there, you've got, and, and they've restor- restored some of the, the, the actual building and stuff like that. Um, it's been cleaned up. Or at um, least they know still... how, they know what needs to be done with it for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot that does need, that needs to be done. Um, the house is mostly cantilevered and a lot of those cantilevers mm-hmm. are right, yeah. having a little bit of a tough time. And so it's grown from, initially the, the property was around like two acres, right? Originally, the the property that David purchased when he built, oh it was big yeah yeah it was yeah. that was ten acres back in the day yeah um but when Gladys passed away they had parcelled it out right. to two point four okay and then Zach um came in and purchased three properties surrounding yes as well as uh, was able to get an agreement with the church next door to allow for parking and stuff like that mm-hmm. so from twenty twelve to now you've got. A property that is about three times bigger and allows for uh, parking and people to visit and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, you've already had a number of events there, correct? We've we've had events, but they're all private events. They're um, private, okay. Yeah, and they're somehow related to the house. Gotcha. Um, for example? We had a Christmas open house where we had like a 40-foot tall Christmas tree and we had... Um, uh-huh like local children's choirs and musicians come out and play music and we served hot chocolate and it was pretty cool it was really nice yeah Yeah. does that sort of fits into what zach kind of sees for this house i think that's exactly where we're going it's Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a a place that celebrates music and theater and uh, encourages people to have a nice place to go for not just holidays but for just community events like the house is a really inspiring place and Mr. Wright always believed that architecture was just sort of a framework that gave birth to all of the other arts. And so he encouraged his own students to take their time to learn da- dance or music or poetry, things like that, right. in order yeah. to enhance the structures that they would build and to better understand them. And so that's how we want to celebrate this house, is by getting people to be creative in this space and around this space. That's part of its educational value. What does Phoenix City Council need to do to move this project forward uh they need to chill for right now Um, (laughs) so we applied to become a historical landmark in november correct and we were recommended by the historical preservation commission to become such okay we asked for a continuance on the um, emergency historical preservation that the city applied to the house for three years until december because you know we kind of need that time to reassess what we're doing and and how we're going to be doing okay so you're kind of like in a crossroads so to speak right now yeah a little bit okay yeah we're in a transitional period because we have a lot of administrative stuff to do and assessment to do regarding the house and right now being open for public tours is obscuring that and we spend a lot of time like making sure that, that we can have these daily tours and that for any events that we have, that they're not bothering the neighbors at all. Right. So you mentioned the neighborhood. That has been an issue, um, you know, almost since the beginning. People are concerned about noise and traffic and that sort of thing. How is that situation right now? We've um, been very sensitive to the concerns of the neighborhood. And um, we've always had this pledge of being invisible and inaudible to the neighborhood. And, you know, we're, we're still 
going to promise that. Um, we have done everything that we can, including our partnership with the church, to have parking over there. To I mean, we're building or we're planting all of these olive trees around the property right now because they're actually a very quality sound barrier, so that sound doesn't escape into the neighborhood. We're doing everything that we can to make sure that the neighborhood is still comfortable. And I think that um, taking this break from tours and events is is a very good idea. So Zach Rowling bought the house in 2012, and he kind of is an elusive figure. Guy, he comes in out of nowhere, buys this house for like, you know, $2.38 million or whatever it is, and he's kind of below the radar still. But he, he still has a vision about what he wants to do with the sound. He bought a property around it and has opened it to the public so people can, you know, share in the way he sees this house. So I'm just curious who this guy is, you know? Well, I mean, he's local, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand because it was so well sold that he was this Las Vegas attorney when he came to town, which is really funny. Um, he's He is a lawyer by trade, but really he's just personally invested in art and culture and um, especially design, and he's always had a very, a very strong admiration for Frank Lloyd Wright and his work, and this was just a really cool opportunity for him, and so he pounced on it. And honestly, like, I mean, he's just a regular person, <laughs> um, and that's why he wants to stay out of the public eye so much. Like, yes, this is his project, and yes, this is his vision. A lot of it is his vision, but he doesn't want to be in the middle of it. He's not doing this for that. He's doing this for just the form of preservation itself, an idea that he had to make a really important building accessible to the community. And this event, Elegant Drive-In, which you guys are partnering with No Festival Required, that fits into his kind of the way he sees what he wants it to be? Yeah. We're looking for stuff like that all the time. We do a yoga series outside on the lawn, um, and No Festival Required is going to be really cool because it's going to be old movies projected on a giant screen, and, you know, that's film is an art too, so it's another way for the house to exist and celebrate the arts for the community. Where did the idea come from for the, uh, the actual film series that is coming up? Um, I know that Steve has been talking to... Sarah and uh, Zach for some time now about having an outside movie night. Um, and we did one last summer. Yeah, they had people sit on the lawn on the burn next to the guest house and they served popcorn and everybody watched a movie. <laughs> so we want to do that, but we also want to make it kind of a little bit bigger and more open for the community. But it sounds like there's only so much more time for you guys to kind of share the property with the uh, public, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. When does the property kind of go black? so to speak. May 7th is the last time we do anything. So that's the date you're setting for yourself. When we asked for our continuance through the city council, that was the date that we gave them. Like, we're just going to stop everything on May 7th. Okay. Which is not to say that it will not go away forever. It's just for right now, we're not doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's like, that's part of our agreement with our continuance. So like really just until December. Gotcha. Until May 7th, most people will have an opportunity to experience the property on some level, right? Yeah, these events are open to the public, and stores are booked, but... <laughs> the normal Joe only has a few more months to take a look at this house and experience it up yeah. close, basically. Yeah. So that's that's what we're looking at here. So the public only has a few more months. So give them an idea of what's happening between now and May 7th. We're going to continue having tours every week um, until... May 1st, our last day of tours is April 29th. But then also we have a couple of events that are open to the community, like this um, elegant drive-in, no festival required. And that's four different movie nights that anybody can come to. Um, we're going to be showing a couple of different movies. We're, uh, one of them's about John Lautner. We're also going to be showing The Pink Panther, which is sort of of the era. Yeah, so we'll have to talk to um, someone about that, yeah. I'm really excited because there's also like Duck Dodgers the Bugs Bunny cartoon about being in space. There's a lot of cute stuff that's going on with that. Um, the only thing that is really important about it, because it's a free event that's it's open to the community, but we just ask that you sign up for uh, Eventbrite parking pass. And let people know, people can go, what's the website people can go to to access that? Um, it's going to be available on our website at davidwrighthouse.org. davidwrighthouse.org, okay. Yes. Um, so you have the festival. What else? Um, we also have uh, our Easter event, and this is kind of, it's this really large project that we've been working on sort of all spring. We have 360 ostrich eggs. Um, ostrich eggs. Ostrich eggs. eggs. And uh, Mr. Wright was, <laughs> his favorite holiday was Easter, and he used to have all of his, his students um, 
decorate these really elaborate Easter eggs and tandem with like this big party that he would throw um, and they would sit at tables as like the place deck or the table decorator and so we sort of had the same idea but with ostrich eggs and so in partnership with Artlink we had 41 artists decorate ostrich eggs and then we auctioned them off at the Art Decor Gala also at the Art Decor Gala we had like kids and people just painting on the other ostrich eggs that we had and so during Art Detour for Kids Detour we're also going to be having egg painting stations available at the um, trolley stops during oh, cool. our detour. All right. And all of these eggs are going to go and they're going to decorate the David Wright house for our Easter event. We're doing um, an egg roll for all the kids. Oh, we, nice. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have or- a date on that yet. March 26th. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you got the, uh, you got the festival or the, the film screenings and you've got the Easter egg hunt. Um, egg roll and anything else we also I mean there's a, a yoga series that we did last spring and it's sort of the same thing as uh, movie night it's open to the public you just have to sign up for a parking pass that's actually really cool because we get different yoga instructors every time to come and instruct yoga on the lawn in front of the David Wright house as the sun's setting I mean there's no more peaceful of an experience yeah. than that so what do you see David Wright house how do you see that 10 years from now, maybe? Well, what Zach's vision has always been, and that's an education center. Like, half of my job is is developing what we're trying to teach the community. And it's not just the community. It's primarily children. We want to be a space for kids on field trips to come and learn about the house. And we've been developing, like, what that philosophy looks like and how it relates to Mr. Wright um, and, and his philosophy there and basically like we want kids to come to the space and to come to the house and interact with the space in a way that you don't normally with buildings Mm -hmm. um to really look at the building and what what it's made of and the shapes that go into it and um we're working with the rodell foundation we've developed a, a math program that's that's also something um that's open to the public and you can sign up on our website also uh we have a couple more dates for that left but it's it's a kid's math program where kids learn about circles and how pi works by interacting with the rug in the house okay and also analyzing shapes and nature around them and how that um can be applied mathematically oh cool yeah all right a really wonderful program that we've come up with and that's the sort of thing that we've always wanted to do um and we're just now sort of you know cultivating that okay thanks melly for joining us today this has been great um learned a whole lot about frank lord wright (laughs) Good. That's. I. I feel like I just do that to everybody now. Everybody what do you walks mean? away from every conversation with me just knowing a lot about Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Have you studied him a lot, or just um, just happened to because of this? I. I haven't. This is the first time that I've really like had a, a Frank Lloyd Wright um, museum experience, but he's always been sort of peppered into. He's everywhere. The, yeah, he's everywhere. Like you, like you said, he like isn't just an architect. He knows about music and all like all um art forms you know and he teaches it to his kids like you said you know like right so it's um, a fascinating subject to me so it, i mean he had so much of an impact on what phoenix looks like now mm-hmm. and exactly, i mean yeah. we're such a unique city in the way that we look and it's really because he spent so much time here he's definitely part of the valley you know what i mean like and all the more reason why something like the david wright house should you know stay alive you know yeah I mean, it's just one of those things that really enhances Phoenix and makes us stand out and, you know, helps build that identity. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Up next, we have Steve Weiss with No Festival Required. He'll be telling us about a documentary he's screening called The Competition. It will be showing March 23rd at Phoenix Center for the Arts, 3rd Street Theater. But first, the Elegant Drive-In Experience. That's the name of the event. It will be one of the last times the public will have an opportunity to experience the David Wright House, at least until further notice. The four-film series was inspired by the architecture and time period of the Wright House, programmed by No Festival Required, with funding from the David and Gladys Wright House Foundation. The movies will be held on the grounds of the Wright House. Screenings include Infinite Space, The Architecture of John Lautner, on Thursday, April 14th, The Absent House on Earth Day, Friday, April 22nd, 
Destination Moon on Friday, April 29th, and The Pink Panther, starring Peter Sellers and directed by Blake Edwards, on Thursday, May 5th. Interesting films, Steve. Why did you choose these films? Well, we decided to go with two architectural films and two films that weren't architecture, but actually are films that are within the period of the right house. And um, Why the period? Well, As opposed to any other flank word, right, right, could be any number of things, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, I think that really what, what the, um, you know, the CEO, uh, Zach, wanted to do was not make it, you know, too much just technical architectural. He wanted the space to be shown off as a space that you can do things in and, and bring a community together. He also, I mean, and this, the whole process of, of this project came about literally he and I walking through the garden and just sort of chatting about what these films could be. And, you know, I'm taking notes, and one of the things he said, he said, you know, the place has, like, this really sort of space-age feel. Mm-hmm. And I'd love, like, something that was kind of campy and space-age. Ah, okay. You know, and so so the films that these we... These make sense now, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the films that we selected, I, I, I felt strongly that it would be good to have architecture films that related to not only... Um, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright's kind of mid-century modern and, and you know, the, the house itself. But I also thought it was really important to show off um, how things have progressed and the ideas that, that are in the film, the second film uh, on Earth Day, April mm-hmm. 22nd, um, The Absent House, when I, I think about it, really Frank Lloyd Wright was all about you know, building to the environment and understanding the environment and not trying to, like, right, kind of the environment. form and functionality together, yeah. And so, you know, to, to me, the, the, the Absent House is really about a guy who's figured out how to do um, a house that has no roof. I mean, it's an amazing film in, in that you learn about a house that its main room is roofless and, and yet has walls around it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's it it's it's a beautiful film, and and you know, and I think it fits into the Wright's aesthetic, though. You know, perhaps he didn't you know build the house with the doors just to his height, like Wright <laughs> would do. And then the two films, the the two films that he wanted me to bring them in as films that sort of relate to the period, sort of echo the place. I will tell you this: th- this is, in my opinion, the job of the film programmer that makes it different than a staff person just grabbing films off a website mm-hmm. is I, I, I grew up in that neighborhood. Basically right. I, I lived, my parents moved in 58 to 34th street in Pasadena, which is just like 34th street in Camelback area. Um, had I ever seen the David Wright house before? No, <laughs> but I had seen a number of Frank Lloyd Wright homes and buildings and I've kind of grown up with his architecture. Sure. And there is a space age quality to it. There is, and there's, and and to me, and the reason why I picked the Pink Panther, is there's something kind of beautiful about that '60s, early '60s kind of sophistication, you know, elegance, hmm. and yet slapstick comedy at the same time. And you know, as as a as a programmer, I literally thought, you know, if I'm not mistaken. This film is really good for like a family-friendly audience. Interesting, because when I was a little kid, I saw it with my family. Right. You know, um, the the later films get more into Peter Sellers and the bumbling. And, right. You know, it's and I and I love them too. But I really loved coming up with the original. It's also the most obviously the most mainstream film that you chose. <clears throat> so I mean, and yet I think the funny thing for me is is that I I understand it could be potentially mainstream. Sure. But because it's all the way back to the original, it's so few people remember. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you know the dance number in the middle of the movie that they just arbitrarily throw in to make them, you know, hep and sophisticated. And uh, <laughs> you know, as as I watched it, I just I just thought it was a really fun film, and uh, um, and <laughs> I feel like I actually started thinking about like what would the rights go out to see in a you know in a theater in the fifties or the sixties. And and uh, Blake and, Edwards, maybe you know. Yeah, well, yeah. it's almost, it's almost like I mean, I in a way I was sort of channeling because I was thinking like, what would my parents have taken to you know us to right. in the '60s to go see a movie? You know? Right. And you know, the Pink Panther. The, the it was thing, immensely popular at the time. 
there was another there was actually another criteria and it was is it was an, it's something that again is like it was not a decision of the staff it was a conscious decision of me as a programmer i wanted all the films to be color i didn't want to show a black and white film i thought about as you know film noir i had all kinds of different ideas of that but i was thinking you know what i really want is like the most like eye catching technicolor blast your face with color you know and and the pink panther is all about that i mean it really is a technicolor film true as as is um uh as is De destination moon but destination moon comes from such a funny place it's yeah what it's, is destination moon that came out in the 1950s it's a george pal production uh it is i think if i'm not mistaken it's exactly 90 minutes mm. and and uh it it's it's the first science fiction film that, to a high level of accurate technical detail, tells the story of the first trip to the moon. Well, you know, in 1950, so it's 1950s version of what it will be if we all go to the moon, with practically no special effects, nice whatsoever that are like it. it the special effects are so kind of campy. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. The um, uh, what is it? The uh, um, zero gravity effects are the funniest part to me of the movie. And so, um, but these are funny, like 50, 60 years later type yeah, thing. I okay. think, I think, that I, well, I, you know, one of the things I want to talk about before the film, just to introduce it, is just the idea that I, I get the impression that George Powell literally had to hit 90 minutes. And as a result, things were sort of stretched. And you could say, oh my God, you know, this this film is going to be boring because you've pulled it longer, you know, you're making it a longer film, but it actually makes it more humorous. I, I loved the scene, there's a scene and it's actually in the trailer where you um, you hear him doing the countdown for the, the, the launch. Oh yeah. And he starts at 59. <laughs> <laughs> Not 15, 59. And, you, and as I'm watching it from the perspective of like, you know, sort of standing outside, I'm thinking, He's like pulling. He's like trying to stretch, get right. to get to that ninety minutes so it's a real film, you know. I've never, I've really never shown a campy film before. <laughs> I've never really, that has never been really part of my lexicon as as a programmer. But, but this wasn't intended to be. Uh, this was a major release at the time, was it not? Totally, okay, totally huge. Right. But but here's, I mean, there's this to to describe the project, the you know, to sell the project. The, in the film, this is a scene within the film, they show a Woody Woodpecker cartoon that describes how the crew is going to go to the moon. Oh, nice. I mean, there's there's such odd parts to this movie. Uh, it, it, you know, you... Ah. When, when you when you start... You, I can't watch everything that, I, that I, I get. I can't see it right off the bat. You know, a lot of times I have to, you know, ask for a, a screener. I have to... Um, do something to be able to get to see the film. Interesting. And and in, in this situation, the more that I picked up about it, um, the more I thought that this would be a really fun one, that that this would be... Um, so you were were you able to watch this one at all? I did. Oh, okay. no, no. You I, got a screener I, I, or whatever? I watched, or? I watched it. I, I think with this, I actually booked it before I watched it because... I was reading such great descriptions of it that it sounded so bizarre. Really? That I thought, this thing's going to work. Everything's in place. And of course, you know, I checked with the distributor and the price was right. You know, it was, it was not a cheap thing by any stretch. And, and, you know, here's a guy that lives out in Missouri or something who owns this amazing collection of, of you know, B films. And that's his gig. You know, he, he uh, sends them off to uh, a company to do DVDs. They're going to pull out a ah, okay. 4K Blu-ray version of it like in the next year. But, um, you know, one of his parts of, of his business is to license screenings like this. And, and um, gotcha. it wasn't hard to find. It wasn't hard to huh. find. That is interesting to talk about the process of programming. But uh, first, finish up. Uh, we got one more that you uh, yeah, well, to I mean, talk we, briefly on we, at least. The, the, I mean, the first film... Of the series is is infinite space the ar architecture of John infinite Lauder. space yes, and um, I screened this film I think about three or four years ago at Smoka, um, and my introduction then was the same that I would give now. It is the closest thing to architectural porn 
I've ever seen as a movie. So architects will love this movie, obviously. Oh, I, I mean, anybody, actually anybody who likes film or buildings will love okay. this. Architects um, will, I, I have been able to speak to the, the, um, the director of photography of the film. I've never spoken to the director before. Uh-huh. But um, after I saw the film, I mean, I, I leaped to the computer to tell him, it's one of the most beautifully shot films oh, cool. in terms of architecture. They pull out every trick that you can to make the smooth, beautiful scenes. Um, the The information on Lautner is, is fascinating. I mean, he was a really fascinating guy, and he developed houses that we all recognize as uh, important parts of different films um, without necessarily knowing that this was the one architect who did them. Hmm. Uh, Lethal Weapon, uh, I think it was Lethal Weapon 2 was the one where they... Uh, Mel Gibson's so angry that he decides oh. to put a chain and pull the Chemisphere house down. Well, okay. that was a Lautner house. That was ah, okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> and and another another house in the film or is shown in... Um, Thunderball, I think it was. Okay. It was used as a yeah. background. I love Lautner's work, but I think even more so, you know. And of course, Lautner, Lautner was connected. He was a Tal- Taliesin fellow. Uh, he was, um, you know, trained under Frank Lloyd Wright and went off oh. on his own. So I thought that that was the thing. And that, I, that's and appropriate. I, and Definitely. I, I, I know the film. It's been screened by me, and it's been screened um, by the American Institute of Architects. They okay. did it maybe a year after or a year before me. But I asked a friend of mine who, uh, who loves architecture and comes to a lot of my films, I said, if I showed this at the, the right house, would you come to see it again? And he said, absolutely. I'd see that film anytime. In that venue. Yeah. Absolutely. But it, it's just, it, it'll be beautiful in that venue. There's, the relationship will happen immediately. Yeah. But for me, what, what I love is, is you just see the sexiest houses you've ever seen in your life shot you know, in the best possible quality. Wow. So I, I enjoyed the film, you know, on a technical level, but also in terms of, you know, recognizing what Lautner can do. So speaking of sexy houses, like obviously uh-huh. you're going to be next to one when you mm-hmm. see these movies. <clears throat> no Festival Requires shows thoughtful and provocative films in unusual venues. Okay. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I've been the floating crap game of gotcha. cinema for, you know, 14 years now, and I'm always looking for the right place. You know, I, I thought... The you know when I showed Stop Making Sense out at at the uh, the lot over next to Carly's, you know that was like the best community event ever. It was a blast. I love showing films outdoors. I think it's the most egalitarian way to show movies. Mm. It also typically demands that you do them for free, mm. which I also enjoy because you know I get paid to put it together, and you guys get to come and see them for free. I love that. I don't have to you know I have to pay somebody to thank take you the philanthropy. <laughs> I don't, I don't have, you know, and, and, you know, to their credit, I came to them, you know, and said, I'd love to be inter- you know, involved in something. And, and uh, you know, Zach Rawlings was, from what I understand, very interested in films even before me, he met me in that space. So we, we, have two, we have two cool things going on. One is that in the space, there's literally going to be like a hillside to sit and watch and an area that's got some chairs to sit and watch. So we figured out a space where we could really sort of showcase the houses like next to the screen, but also have like lots of space for people. But the the other thing is, is that it's just such a nice, like separated place from everything. Mm. You'll, you know, it, it, it makes it maybe even more of an event. By the way, do you know how many people are going to be able to fit? We don't. We only, I know that it's going to relate to parking. That's because sure. that is yes. the issue over there. And, and I, I don't know what those folks are going to deal with that way, but I know that you know, it's going to be important that if you want to come to the films, you need to have a parking reservation, which is how um, you know, we'll be able to secure But any normal Joe can go and a re- yeah. reserve a ticket. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Reserve you know, a ticket. But know that there will be finite spaces. There will only be a certain amount of spaces, and I suspect after those spaces are gone, they'll stop selling. But it's somewhere, I think it's somewhere around 122 spaces or something okay. like that. And you know, would hope that within each car, you would have six people, right? Right. <laughs> so. And so you're calling it the Elegant Drive-In. So uh-huh. where did that name come from? Because this, 
Well, I, I, uh, once I, once I thought about the films, I, I started thinking, you know, we're outdoors, um, we're watching a movie, you know, um, as I started to, and, and, and literally this is a very short conversation with the CEO to determine what he wanted me to do so that I could set up a proposal. And as I'm like literally like throwing things out there, like bing, 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 you know, trying to throw out some ideas, you know, desperately hoping he's going to go for this and, you know, and I could be on this gig. I, you know, blurted out, well, it'd be great to have like, you know, like a short or some cartoons before the films, you know, like it was at the drive-ins, like it was in the theaters. And I related the story about how when you grew up in Phoenix, you got to watch cartoons on, on uh, Wallace and Lanmo. You know, you got to see cartoons. But if you grew up in my generation, you mostly watched it on black and white televisions. So when you'd go to a movie theater or a drive-in and they'd show a Bugs Bunny c- cartoon, it was like a psychedelic experience <laughs> because it was just... Right. Know, it was color. It was right. this. It was that. You know, wow. and it was just... It was like... It was such a treat to, that you... You know, you'd go along with your parents to see some sort, you know, some crap you'd sleep through, as long as you could watch the cartoon before. And they put cartoons in front of everything. Right. So, so, so my idea was, I want to have coming attractions for the films. I want to, you know, like do that setup, show the coming attractions uh, trailers for the films that will be coming, then have either a short film or a um, a cartoon before. That somehow relates to the film and to the okay. whole process. And those have not been decided yet? Or? They have been decided, okay. actually. Yes, Do you want to talk about any of them? Or? Uh, well, hmm. So basically... You, I, let me, uh, there's only one that I'll... I'll re- well, there's two that I'll review. Well, hang on. So basically you're going to have a uh, um, the trailer for the film and then a cartoon and then the actual full-length film that you're going to show. I'll, right? show. I'll only show trailers of the films that happen the next weeks. Ah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I'm not going to show... Gotcha. I'm, I'm not going to... It's... And it's, you know, in that sense, it's not like a film buff kind of event. It's really, it's, it's for people who lo- love to go see films. It's for people who, you know, enjoy seeing something outdoors. The special treat, in my opinion, is that we're going to sort of recreate my experience going to the drive-in with my parents, except that instead of sitting in a 63 Buick LeSabre, you know, with my brother shoving me, you know, there'll be a lot more green space around us, you know. And, Lots uh, of green space, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, it it was obvious that I was if I was going to show the Pink Panther that I would go and find, um, you know, the first sure. Pink Panther cartoon. So that's what we'll open gotcha. with that, and okay. it's called Pink Fink, and it was actually the very first uh, Pink Panther cartoon, which I believe was hmm. well, I so and then with um, <clears throat> with uh, Destination Moon, it was pretty much I couldn't stop myself. I had to get. Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century um, with um, Marvin the Martian and, and uh, Daffy Duck. Of course, Duck. yeah. Um, and, and so those are those are the two, and they're really a blast. But I have I have two shorts that are more public mode na- domain shorts that sort of relate to the period of these films, and, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. So we're looking at a full evening of experience, so to speak, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, I you know, if you, I'll throw this out, I'll throw this out to your podcast. You know, you know, you're like a hip guy, you're a hip chick. You know, you want to like really like show that not only are you, you know, like, in the uh, know, in the know, but like really <laughs> conscious of the environment. You know, <laughs> come on, Friday night, date night, free event, Earth Day. I mean, you know, hey, there so you go. yeah. So I think I, I you know, I, sell I, it. I know. Yeah. Seriously, that sounds like a good night to me, actually. Yeah. I, in a very pleasant environment to be for sure. Very pleasant environment. I mean, let's yes. you know, let's enjoy this place and yes. um, and as it turns out, it's the last films they'll be doing there, the last events they'll be doing there. Right. So, I think we're going to go out with a pretty good bang, good. you know. And so you also have the competition that's coming up uh, March 23rd. Yeah, that's Wednesday, March 23rd. Tell us about the competition, the movie. The the premise of the film is is that there is a group of architects in this world that are described as star architects. They are the top tier architects, um, and there was literally a a competition for a a project in Andorra, the town of Andorra, 
they wanted to have in their a new city hall which would be built in the center of their city surrounded by historic and, and important architectural buildings so the plot of land was very very small for this competition and they the city decided they wanted to go for only the highest level of architects and from the people who applied they came up with uh, five different names i can i can only pronounce one of them poorly i think but frank gary jean nouvelle zaha hadid dominique perrot and norman foster those are the five architects that are are profiled in order to to be in this competition for this project each architect architectural firm would have to agree to have a film crew at their studio documenting the whole process of creating the proposal and, and this film came out when so uh, it, it's it, fairly new right it is it or, it, it came out in 2013 but, okay but yeah. came out is really a funny thing because there's a process in 2013, the film came by me with the idea that if I wanted to show it, I would have to fly the architect, or I'm sorry, the, the, the director, who is also an architect, from Spain to come to Phoenix. Oh, nice. The film could not be shown without him being there, and, and I certainly couldn't afford that. I just couldn't pull it off. The second year, the film ran through the film festival circuit and did extremely well. Now we're in the third year, which is typically the year that you bring it out for distribution and show it all over the country or all over the world. And it has shown all over the world, but frankly, um, not a whole lot of sh uh, screenings in the U.S. because I don't think people are really you know, knowledgeable of this film. Um, I've been working for three years to bring it out here because I felt that it was a film that, first of all, all architects should see, but particularly student architects. Because if you watch the film, you see that when you have a guy like Frank Geary or Jean Nouvel, ultimately it is the staff, it's the, it's mm. the people working in the office that really have to try and translate the ambiguous idea of the star architect into an actual physical structure. And if you've studied Frank Lloyd Wright on any level, you understand that. that you know, there's one thing to take it from concept and bring it to reality. Well, and, and you know... What, what I believe is, is that it's not just for architects like learning or understanding or, in my opinion, um, because I love the film, laughing at this process. Um, so it's, a very, it's funny then, too. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very it's, reality TV show a little bit, I mean, it, it sounds it's, like. It's, it's even more than that because I think reality TV is probably a little more objective. There's definitely a subjective oh. decision by the director. So what you're saying, there's a little bit less of a filter? Nice. Yeah, nice. it's... it's, okay. it's I think it's very much a a, um, a a subjective decision of the director to use the material that he has to show off this really complicated and ambiguous process to create something, um, you know, physical and 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 there. And what what happens is is in in the process, I think anyone who's ever created a proposal for anything could relate to this. And also anyone who's ever worked for anyone who creates a proposal could enjoy this film. And the way that the, the director I'm surprised it, that, you know, well, first of all, they had to design the space, basically. Was there a winner? I can't say. Okay. That's the, that's the premise of the film. Okay. It's the competition. Okay. It's, it's a great... It sounds a, interesting, it's a yeah. really... I mean, the ending of the film is one of the best endings of a film I've ever seen. Okay. It's, it's very, very good. I mean, I'm amazed that some of these folks even agreed to, these architects agreed to... Some didn't, and so they weren't okay. able to do it. Others, as you watch the film, are complaining bitterly about the process of having to have this camera To do this, yes. And, and that, again, is one of the funny parts of the film. Interesting. Yeah. Frankly, it was very expensive to bring here. Ugh. It was one of the more expensive films to be able to do a rental and, and get here. I was fortunate enough that the Jarson and Jarson Architecture and, and Real Estate uh, Arizona Architecture, uh, when I approached them, they were enthusiastic. Uh, Wood Design is another sponsor on the film, and actually Carly's Bistro came in as a sponsor, and that helps me to like, you know, put the film out there without like, you know, worrying that I'm going to be, you know, eating it, you know, because of it. I mean, wow. we should mention that this is done um, under no festival required. Right. That's your that's your company basically. Right. Right. So I mean, you could let people know about that. Well, I I, I think that 
you know, the, the reason why I first started No Festival Required was because there wasn't anything other than the Phoenix Film Festival as uh, a vehicle for seeing films that weren't, um, you know, multiplex mainstream. And then, that was even back when the Phoenix Film Festival was pretty small. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I started No Festival Required in 2002, um, you know, at Modified Arts, you know, with, with a... Um, no entry fee, no prizes, uh, short film festival. And we did it once, and we had a lot of people, and we thought, oh, let's do it again. And then I thought, yeah, that's a good thing. And then I kept doing it. So I think that, you know, what it takes to be a film programmer in this valley when I started it 14 years ago was the beauty of Phoenix, which was you see a niche that's not filled, go do it. And hopefully people will respond. You know, I, I mean, no festival required, frankly, was an answer to the Phoenix Film Festival. It was to the whole film festival circuit. Um, it began as a, a, almost a protest to you put your film into a competition, you pay a certain amount of money for it to be in the competition, you get rejected and you never know why, but you've already paid your money to like mm. show the other movies. So I thought... You know, the first thing we ought to do is get out all these great shorts that I'm hearing about that people are doing. Um, short films are wonderful to see. You know, let's do this thing. We're not going to pay the filmmakers. We're going to charge a door. It's going to be a little door, but we're going to charge <laughs> a door. And I said, you know, I was honest with every one of them up front. I said, there's no entry fee in comparison to the other things that you want to see, get your film screened. But there's also no prizes. We're just giving you an opportunity to show your film in front of an enthusiastic audience. And that's how it began. And, and really, I, I stick with that premise all the, all the way through. I, my criteria is really a, a lot about the screening the things that wouldn't be seen here otherwise. Okay. But I still think that at, at the end of the day, I'm going to always fight for something that's different than anybody else is doing. Yes, originality. So, good talking to you. Well, thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Steve Weiss. Hey, thanks, guys, for listening to the show. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at podcast at onthegridphx.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was produced by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we will be featuring a different local band at the end of every show. And this week, that band is The Stakes, featuring Holly Pyle. Their next local performance date is March 25th at the Crescent Ballroom. They can be found at thestakesmusic.com. And once again, thank you guys so very much for listening to our fourth episode of On the Grid. These are the stakes to make a world in which all of God's children can live or to go into the dark. We must either love each other or we must die. Smoked out, trying to catch perfection with this raw and PBR. Out back with the guys, beatboxing rhythms that make your head nod. A break from the mediocrity of what's being fed. Jedi mind tricking verses to the pen from the head. Motivation is to elevate till freedom is priority. Then find on until the man's embedded and there will be no apologies. We cipher till we break the matrix code and the zeros and O's are made visible so y'all can decipher the whack flows, but y'all ain't know. We started with house parties and jam sessions, jazz, hip-hop, funk, soul, we got it all connected. Many changes made in a small time, but the vision stayed intact. Just kept moving forward, no matter what wins, we'll push us back. And kept it fat, like half these women's ass implants. Y'all challenging who? I don't think you got time for that. The stakes are already high, so you can smoke them fantasies away, because the impact of what we deliver is harder than the bag of hand grenades. We bring the sun to the light and the rain and break apart the earth. But fell from the center of the planet and dropped it in the first. I'm Gargamel with a blowtorch, lightning flames, city smurfs, no mercy, a calamite. My lotion when I'm leaving these lanes first. This is the rebirth. Landed with no umbilical cord and making it look easy. This is how I was moonwalking on pumping floors with a darling one that raw and funky shit and you can hit the go. If this is your first time, welcome to the stage. Melodical flow.
flows got em. The notes flow like smoke, the sound symbiotic. Arrangements change shape, rhythmic, hypnotic. I reshape this world with a bionic goddess. Raise the stakes, we take moments and make them timeless. Open up your chakras, release some toxins, extra pure. Supply discerning connoisseurs proper. All possible outcomes lead to dollars. It's wide open like deep space floating. Catch a contact from the sound, it's so potent. Like a fresh potion, I like it raw. Ideas brighter than the North Star, I'm far from a saint. Graceful like Elijah Wine in the paint. I get your brain a dream shake, trill. Never run in a mill, a different breed. Show and prove, best believe. Now let it breathe. The rhythm got a hip spinning like a flying saucer. She wanna groove, move, make room, get a buffer. Feel a rush in the endorphins through your organs. I'm up here brainstorming, we keep pouring. You are being compelled by otherworldly forces. First class, fantastic voyage, enjoy it. Thoughts gorgeous, so clean, so fresh. It's the STA KPS. stay home. 